0: District of Conservation is sponsored by Real Camo Girl, a lifestyle brand for women who love the great outdoors, spanning from hunting, fishing, foraging, archery, shooting sports, and the like. We are proud to have them as a sponsor, and you can learn more about them at www.realcamogirl.com and follow them all across social media to learn more and get involved. Welcome to episode 18 of District of Conservation. Thank you guys for joining. I hope you had a great start to the new year. I hope you found last week's interview with Adam Hauser and Graham Badoozzi to be informative. I know it's thought-provoking to talk about that topic, but I figured there should be differing and alterna- alternative views on discussions related to the environment because we hear a lot of stuff and um, not everything is one- one-sided with respect to that. But I want to use this episode to briefly discuss... Some legislative wins that happened before the new Congress came into session, and a little explainer on some bad, bad, bad gun bills before the General Assembly here in Virginia. I may have briefly touched upon the Modern Fish Act last week, but I have dedicated full episodes to it when I had Alan Luck on for episode 12. But it was signed into law by the President of the United States, Donald Trump. On December 27th, and I wrote about it at The Resurgent and why this is really good for conservation, for managing recreational fishing more reasonably and more aligned with uh, the activity there. So it was a win. And what it will do, the law will add more appropriate management tools for policymakers to use in managing federal fisheries. And some people have said, well, is this going to create further regulation, more laws, higher taxes? No, this just restructures how recreational fishing will be managed. And it won't be managed like commercial fishing, which is very different. Uh, It entails a lot more risks. There are two very different fishing styles, especially in the commercial vein. So here's what the Modern Fish Act will accomplish when it goes into effect shortly. It'll provide authority and direction to NOAA fisheries to apply additional management tools more appropriate for recreational fishing, many of which are successfully implemented by state's fisheries agencies, e.g. extraction rates, fish mortality targets, harvest control rules, or traditional or cultural practices of native communities. The Second goal that it hopes to accomplish is improving recreational harvest data collection by requiring federal managers to explore other data sources that have tremendous potential to improve the accuracy and timeliness of harvest estimates, such as state-driven programs and electronic reporting. It could be done through smartphone apps. Uh, That's what the proponents of this bill have said. So it's through phone collection currently from what experts have said, but it's going to be brought into the 21st century. So that'll be really good. The third thing it'll do, it'll... It'll require the Comptroller General of the United States to conduct a study on the process of mixed-use fishery allocation review by the South Atlantic and Gulf of Mexico Regional Fishery Management Councils and report findings to Congress within one year of enactment of the Modern Fish Act, so one year from December twenty seventh, 2018, and the fourth provision that it'll or fourth goal that it'll aim to accomplish is requiring the National Academies of Sciences to complete a study, provide recommendations within two years of the enactment of the Modern Fish Act on limited access privilege programs, catch shares, including an assessment of social economic, ecological effects of the program, considering each sector of a mixed-use fishery and related businesses, coastal communities, and the environment, and an assessment of any impacts to stakeholders in a mixed-use fishery caused by a limited access privilege program. This is a win for conservation... I think recreational fishing isn't going to be pigeonholed like it was in the past, and I think this will signal some good good stuff to come. We won't, unfortunately, see any such legislation like this pass in the new Congress, the 116th Congress, given who's in, car- in charge of it now. But at least some stuff got passed through. I really wish the sportsman's package would have passed that would have uh, reauthorized the Land and Water Conservation Fund that would have uh, done some stuff... Related to shooting sports, uh, greater access for hunting and many, many other things. And unfortunately, that was not passed. That was really sad. Um, Maybe when Republicans control the House of Representatives, again, we can see stuff like that. I don't see Democrats uh, having any inclination to introduce that, I'm afraid. Uh, But that was really interesting to see that. Something I've been discussing heavily on my social media platforms, and I try not to insert politics on Instagram, but I will when it comes to gun legislation, just because I feel like a lot of my followers are sympathetic or like-minded with respect to that. But in Virginia, our governor introduced on Friday uh, a so-called reasonable legislative gun package that is supposed to be middle of the road. He claims that to be, but... If you know politicians and you've examined politicians, and I've written about politicians for numerous years, and I'm skeptical, especially of one party, and I don't trust even the party I belong to at times, but with respect to the other party, and that's what my governor belongs to, he's engaging in political speak when he when he says that this is going to be reasonable, so... Pieces of legislation he will unveil shortly, and several pieces have been unveiled as of this recording uh, before tomorrow session resumes, before the new legislative session resumes in Virginia's House of Delegates and State Senate. And he wants to see bills pass in relation to extreme risk protection orders or red flag laws. He also wants to see assault weapons banned or so-called assault weapons ban. The definition of what an assault weapon, they can't define it, so it could extend to semi-automatic handguns and firearms. That's pretty dangerous. He wants to to have more universal background checks passed. There is a bill that does discuss that uh, and wants to see that happen. There's also, there hasn't been a bill proposed yet on the legislative ticker, but uh, he expressed his interest in passing a magazine ban for magazines exceeding 10 rounds. So there's a lot in this package. I'm gonna do my best to briefly break it down for you. But some context as to why Governor Northam is pursuing this. This all comes down to his donors. He received a large sum of money from Every Town for Gun Safety, uh, $1.4 million approximately. And you can see this on VPAP for yourselves. I'll include links in the show notes. He got this money when he was campaigning for governor in 2017 from this extreme gun control group. They claim to be much like mom's demand action, moderate middle of the road. They're not. They push for extreme measures, which penalize law abiding owners and don't tackle the criminal who abuse guns. So he's trying to satisfy his donors because that's what he was elected to do to impose this radical gun control agenda. And I've argued before here and in articles I've written, especially in The Hill, that any and all gun control legislation will, in fact, hit and choke conservation funding. Because as you guys know, the bulk of excise taxes that go back to wildlife and habitat restoration efforts derive from firearm sales from which excise taxes are collected through the Pittman-Robertson Fund. And if this is enacted, not only will your rights be in jeopardy, so will conservation funding. That's a consequence they don't like to talk about. Because secretly they may not be for your lifestyle there, unfortunately, but it's going to hurt your rights and it's going to hurt your conservation funding if this were to pass. I have good news, though. I think most of the bills I'm going to briefly discuss will be defeated either in committee or in full House votes or full Senate votes. I should say I don't see this passing, although the margins are very slim now in each chamber. Uh, Republicans control twenty one to 19 seats in the state senate and it's divided 49 to 49 to one vacancy in the house of delegates so it'll be interesting to see what will come in play but i gather because the margins are slim with pro gun majorities i don't see most of this legislation passing i could be completely mistaken which is why i wanted to discuss this in the ca- in the advent that it does or passes out of committee in both of those chambers but I fear that the red flag law, as I discussed on Facebook yesterday, will be the one to get even some Republican support there. So I'm going to briefly discuss a few pieces of legislation you should be aware of if you're a Virginian and a Virginia gun owner or concealed handgun permit holder. The first bill is HB 1644, which it pertains to reporting lost or stolen firearms, and it'll impose a civil penalty. So if you aren't, inclined to, or if you're a law-abiding gun owner and your firearm gets stolen and you don't report it within 24 hours, you will be charged with a $50 penalty for your first offense. And if you were to unfortunately or accidentally do this again, the second penalty will be to be between 100 to $250 for the second. However, much like let's say, suing the manufacturers of firearms, those respective companies. I don't see how you can pin the blame on a law-abiding gun owner who had their firearms stolen for the misgivings and crimes of a criminal who took their gun and used it for evil purposes. That doesn't make sense. And I think that's why it's wise to see this bill die. And again, this doesn't mean there should be no penalties for people who steal, but it shouldn't be the law-abiding gun owner victims who pay for the crimes of criminals. Criminals have to pay for their misgivings and their crimes. The second bill, which is the most important bill of all those being considered in this gun package, which is HB 1763. This pertains to the extreme risk protection order, aka the red flag law, that does boast a lot of problems with respect to Second Amendment and due process rights. So what this law will do here in Virginia, if this were to pass, and I worry that this will get Republican support in both chambers, it would place uh, those who would be under the protection of this order will be examined for two weeks, 14 days. Those who are overseeing this protective order can leave them in question for up to 180 days if they suspect them to be a harm to themselves or a harm to others. However, as we've seen in Maryland, this hasn't proven to work out really to prevent uh, any infliction of harm. In fact, a gentleman in Anne Arundel, Maryland, who was the recipient of this protective order, died at the hands of police when they came to his home early morning in November of last year when his sister uh, placed this protective order on him, claiming that he was a harm to himself and others, and he wasn't prepared for the cops to visit him. And again, this is really murky. I know um, I'm pretty you know, supportive of the, the police, but I think they overstepped their bounds with this protective order. I don't know if this guy was a harm to himself. It didn't seem like the case, but this tragedy should not have happened. And it didn't go along the lines of the purview Of their protective order. I believe they have a two-week waiting period and that extension if need be, but this guy's rights were completely violated. And if this were to be the inspiration and example for the law, it's very dangerous and it should not be put in place. Or versions like this that don't respect uh, Second Amendment and due process law should never be enacted, but uh, they never really do. They haven't really... They haven't uh, thought this out clearly yet for Red flag Law, but that's really dangerous. Another thing that's important for any prospective concealed handgun permit holder is HB 1899, which would remove online qualifications for concealed handgun permit competence requirements. When I got my concealed handgun permit about four years ago, I took an in-person class because for me... I had to acquaint myself more with firearms. I actually wanted to be under the training and direction of NRA instructors directly. I understand that others aren't afforded that opportunity. It's a little, it could be cheaper to take an online course. Perhaps there are certain conditions that prevent them from taking in person classes, but I don't see how this will deter criminal behavior. In fact, it'll just, again, penalize law abiding person who wants to get their CHP here in the state of Virginia. And it's a pretty easy way to get it. It doesn't mean that an easy process means more criminals are going to be glossed through the system and, and commit crimes. No, this means it'll be easier for law abiding gun owners to exercise their rights safely and securely. And this will hurt those who perhaps have an urgency or immediate need to get it. And I hope this dies in committee. There are several Senate bills that you guys should be aware of too here in Virginia. Uh, one of them being the universal background check law um, and a few others, but I'm going to list these for you briefly. And again, there are several more outstanding bills that are terrible too. I just feel like some of them are repetitive, so you can read that for your own uh, reading pleasure. But one bill I want to talk about is the UBC bill, which pertains to firearms transfers with respect to criminal history record information checks and a penalty that would be imposed if this were to pass. And in SB 1164, this would require a background check for any firearm transfer and requires the Department of State Police to establish a process for transfers of firearms to obtain such a check from licensed firearms dealers, FFL dealers. The transferer who fails to obtain a required background check and sells the firearm to another person is guilty of a class one misdemeanor if they're found to be in violation of this bill, if this were to go into effect. Now with the discussion of private firearm sales, I don't know anyone who doesn't go through an FFL dealer. I think most people do it in honesty and they are law abiding and I don't know if putting a universal background check type rule to discourage criminal behavior would do anything. This will just cause unnecessary burdens. And what the VCDL, which is the Virginia Citizens Defense League, says about this bill in particular is that this bill requires that a private, the all-private sales of firearms go through an FFL-licensed dealer in the form of a universal background check. They argue that this bill will do nothing about crime but will make it harder and more expensive for an average citizen to sell or trade one of his firearms to another citizen. Another bill that the governor would love to see passed, because he alluded to this being part of his legislative goal, for 2019, is SB 1034, which is the limitation on purchases of handguns and a penalty that could be incurred. So uh, pre-2012, Governor Bob McDonald, a Republican, uh, reversed the one-gun-a-month law, which made it so that uh, purchasing a handgun within a 30-day period would be the rule for those who are not federal firearms licensed dealers, FFL dealers. So, this would reimpose that law, prohibiting any such person who's not an FFL dealer from purchasing more than one handgun in a 30 day period. And if you were to do this and you get caught, you would be guilty of a class one misdemeanor. So, this is basically going to criminalize people who perhaps purchase one or two handguns, few handguns, dozens of handguns out there. Uh, We heard the former president, Barack Obama, say that people go to Wisconsin to buy hundreds of guns, to funnel those into Chicago. So again, mere exaggeration, I think the FFL dealers are smart and wise enough to deduce who is appropriate to sell guns to, and they're not going to sell countless number of guns to crazy people or people who are suspicious. So I don't think this will do anything except criminalize someone who perhaps wants to buy two handguns. Uh, perhaps one for them or one for their spouse. This is unnecessary. Hopefully it'll die in the Senate. Another bill pertains to whether or not um, parents or the adults who are going to have loaded, unsecured firearms, so to speak, uh, around 14 to 18-year-old children or minors, uh, whether or not they should be penalized for being so-called reckless. Uh, So what this bill would do, SB 1096, would provide that any person who leaves an unloaded unsecured farm in such a manner as to endanger the life or limb of any person under the age of 18 is guilty of a class six felony. Current law currently provides that any person who recklessly leaves a loaded unsecured farm in such a manner as to endanger the life or limb of a child under 14 is guilty of a class three misdemeanor. And they say that this bill contains technical amendments. What if the 18 year old, 16 year old, 17 year old is super responsible. They're out hunting with their parents. Perhaps they're going target shooting, shooting, Uh, especially with relation to hunting or target shooting in the field. And someone comes by and says, oh boy, you're interacting in a responsible, irresponsible manner. And then that person, the adult that they're going to be with is going to get charged for supposedly not securing their firearms. So everyone knows how to secure their firearms. People secure their firearms. That's the norm. The national shooting sports foundation encourages that with project child safe. Plenty of others out there also encourage the safe and secured method of storing firearms. But if you're hunting and you're holding and positioning your firearm in the correct way, abiding by all safety rules and your gun is loaded, let's say you're about to take a shot at an animal or do some target shooting. Could that be criminalized too? Could an adult be charged for that? So I would say anyone who is close to 18, is pretty responsible if they're handling, handling firearms. So I don't think this, this bill will do anything. And if existing law already prohibits it for those under 14, that's a little different because they're younger. I don't necessarily agree with that, but 18-year-olds are responsible enough to handle firearms, so I don't see why uh, this should be uh, considered. And a final bill would be SB 1163, which relates to trigger activators and the prohibition thereof of that. So this would include bump stocks, and we have heard that bump stocks will be banned Uh, which even if you don't like them and I don't use them, I don't care for them. I don't see any utility to them. Uh, But people even just recognize the symbolism of the banning of such. And if this were to be banned here in Virginia, much like it is federally, um, you can see other parts of firearms be subsequently banned as well. People see it on the, the surface and for the principle that, This could have a bad precedent and and affect other parts of firearms or perhaps ban certain firearms altogether given questionable or scary looking exterior qualities belonging to a gun. Nobody really uses, again, bump stocks, but this will prohibit the manufacturing, importation, sale or or possession, transfer or transportation of a trigger activator, including a bump stock Um, and no grandfathering would be allowed. And it's an uh, interesting precedent this would establish. Uh, they could potentially ban this much like enacting f- red flag laws. I, if, if there is another bill that could be passed, it probably could be this because they're keen on getting rid of bump stocks as well. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see there. Before I conclude this podcast episode, I have a few goals for 2019 that I hope to fulfill Uh, With respect to my outdoor pursuits, this spring we have, I believe firearm season is going to be done soon for deer. So I don't think I'm going to be able to do firearm season for antlered deer, although I believe I can do it for antlerless and doe up until March. So I'm hoping to, fingers crossed, get my first deer, whether it is a doe or antlerless buck sometime this spring. There's a chance for me to go turkey hunting. I have until the end of this month to do either Maryland or Virginia waterfowl. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Uh, there's going to be a lot of fishing that I'm going to partake in. I'm going to explore some new streams in and around Virginia and also about an hour and a half or so, within an hour and a half, uh, towards Baltimore County. There's a great place called Gunpowder Falls. There's also Beaver Creek, Dan- uh, Beaver Creek uh, near Hagerstown, which is very beautiful, uh, runoff from the Ketakink Mountains. And there's just so much in the area that I want to explore uh, while it is a little colder because the trout love colder water and it's such an experience. And I'm going to learn more about what is trending and happening in the realm of fly fishing uh, because I've made it so that I want to become better with fly angling. I'm pretty good with bait and spin cast, but the challenge I want to overcome is becoming better at fly angling. And I'm going to be going to the Virginia fly fishing and wine festival this weekend to scout out the place, interview some newsmakers there and see what it's all about. I've never been, I've been to plenty of consumer trade shows like shot show I cast and others. Like I've been to the big ones, but there are some smaller grade shows that I have not checked out. And this is one of them and I'm excited to attend it. And I will try to interview some people there who are here or visiting the region too. I think I'll try to do my best to grab them and have them come on the podcast and see what their perspective is about fishing in Virginia or the mid Atlantic. So I think that'll be fun. So stay tuned for that episode i'm hoping to do a episode compiling several interviews so that should be a lot of fun i will let you know how the wine is too it's supposedly some of the best in all of virginia if you liked this episode and want to see it go far and wide please be sure to subscribe to us on itunes where you can find us if you type district of conservation we are also on anchor.fm you can find us there and all other participating platforms and never miss an episode If you like what you hear, you can leave us a comment. You can subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Leave us your feedback. I'm pretty transparent and responsive to any comments and concerns and thoughts. If you have any guest suggestions, I would love to hear that too. I'm always looking for more guests, and I should be having more guests coming on the program soon. Thank you all for listening, and I will give you guys a report on how the Fly Fishing Festival went. Tight lines, everyone.